0: This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book, What
1: School Could Be. So, Nora, what's it like to have Ms. Fliss as your teacher? Oh, my gosh. So, she's like one of the best teachers I've ever had. But before I, like the first day, sixth graders come for a walkthrough to come look at all their classes. And they come for like a day before everybody else gets in the school. And this was like the first time I've ever met her. And I was like, wow, this teacher's gonna be my favorite. (laughs) And then throughout like the first week, she totally like just made me look at the world like totally differently. Before, I never thought about recycling. I never thought about gender equality. I didn't even know half the stuff that's going on was going on. And so she's just been like a really different perspective for me in a way I've like never thought of. Hey
2: everyone, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapoon. Before we start the show, please check out all the resources at whatschoolcouldbe.org and our global community. Simply install the What School Could Be app on your mobile device or navigate to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org. I hope to see you there. Also, I want to give a shout out to Chris McNutt and his partners at the Human Restoration Project. Chris is a former guest on this show and is developing his second Conference to Restore Humanity, coming up in July of 2023. This is a must-attend virtual event. Learn more at humanrestorationproject.org. Today, my guest is Julia Fliss. Julia is an educator, activist, world changer, lifelong learner, creative, and yogi who lives and teaches in the mountains of Evergreen, Colorado. She has made it her life's mission to advocate for student voice, agency, and the power of transformative pedagogy and global collaboration within our current education system. At the top of her impressive resume, Julia states her mission and vision very clearly. She writes, quote, to utilize the expertise I have acquired from work within the public school system, social services, and both for-profit and non-profit organizations to facilitate personal growth, educational advancement, equity, and empowerment in the global classroom and community," end quote. Julia and I share a common superhero named Zoe Weil, the founder of the Institute for Humane Education and the author of The World Becomes What We Teach. Zoe, for this episode, writes, and I quote, Julia Fliss is the kind of teacher most of us wish we had even just once in all the years we were in school, a teacher who believed in us so deeply that we discovered who we could be through her reflected eyes and constant encouragement, a teacher who wanted to know us so that we could better know ourselves and pursue our passions. A teacher who created a class culture so bustling with enthusiasm, kindness, and cooperation that we could truly thrive. A teacher who made learning come alive and inspired us to make a difference in the world. A teacher who helped us to think deeply as well as act ethically. A teacher so positive and loving that we had a role model for life." End quote. Chris McNutt, the co-founder of the Human Restoration Project, said this about Julia for this episode, quote, Julia is truly a beacon of energy, channeling positive, proactive change into the world. Her classroom radiates a call for community action and change-making, sharing with young people new opportunities to make a difference and navigate their path to purpose. Without a doubt, there is no one better to represent what it means to be a progressive educator than Julia Fliss. Thank you, Chris and Zoe, for your awesome accolades. My final thought in this introduction is this. After a two-week deep dive into Julia's life and work, I have come to see her as a powerful, spiritual mystic of sorts, working in the high mountains of Evergreen, Colorado to compose the music that best defines what school could be and what could be school. As always, my email is josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. I welcome your comments and insights. And now, here is my conversation with Julia Fliss. Julia, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Josh. So honored and energized to get to be a part of the conversation.
2: Awesome. So, Julia, you shared with me a story about your life that if I were a Netflix original producer screenwriter, I would option for a multi-season series titled the adventures and hallucinations of Julia Fliss. So somewhere <laughs> in the middle of this 1990s adventure you shared in Morocco, you were bitten on the neck by a black widow spider, which appeared to alter the arc and the direction of your life. So what is the essence of this story, Julia? And why does it help explain Julia Fliss to our listeners?
1: Thank you for that ask. That's a beautiful question. and. A beautiful phrasing of the question. And I love altered the arc. I'm an adventurer. <laughs> mm. I'm a wanderer. I do teeter on the edge of getting lost. I have to admit, I enjoy it. And this particular adventure was a little bit of that for sure. I was on an adventure connected to my study abroad time in Spain during college and had been invited to a wedding of people I didn't know, but friends of friends said, Hey, let's go experience a cultural event. And I am always a hundred percent in for that, especially if it involves learning about new cultures, language, food, all things, world awareness. So I made my way to Morocco, stayed in a hostel. That was my, my style, my backpack, mm-hmm. just making my way and woke up The morning of the wedding and realized something wasn't right. The entire right half of my body was all... I felt like my muscles were frozen. I was hallucinating. I was sweating. Made my way to a medicine man. We had a conversation about the potential for what had occurred. And my little stubborn self told my friends, hey, you guys go to the wedding. I'll just make my way back to my study abroad, Mm -hmm. my study abroad town, and I will be just fine. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I got on four wrong trains and made my way to a Red Cross in Sevilla, Spain. Ended up in Santiago de Compostela, which Mm -hmm. is actually the northwestern tip of Spain. It is the end of the pilgrimage of Santiago. Mm -hmm. So I essentially made my way to a very religious, spiritual location, during which time I spent a week in... An albergue, so a kind of like the equivalent of almost a bed and breakfast ish, Mm -hmm. in a bed, white light behind me with a little girl in a white dress um, next to my bed. And I remember coming in and out of reality. Mm -hmm. During that time, I wasn't aware enough to be worried about myself Mm -hmm. and was numb enough to really play with the daydreams I was having. Mm -hmm. And as I started to make my way out, I realized I was dreaming in Spanish and I was thinking in Spanish and I was creating a cultural experience otherworldly in and of itself Mm. and realized, wow, I need to pull my head up and out of all of the books that I've been burying my head in. I need to step out of my brain and into my heart and acknowledge the way that I've been moving through the world over these past four months. I need to choose in Mm. for an experience of life, again, a heart experience of life, rather than just a brain experience of Mm. who and how I want to be in the world. Mm -hmm. So my arc shifted from ER doctor who was knee deep, studying 12 hours a day, pre-med stressed by chemistry and animal biology Mm -hmm. to how can I open to an experience of the world where I get to share in that story, a shared experience of life in a way that raises awareness and lifts consciousness and opens doorways and helps other kids, especially in the world, understand that we all get to create our own life path. Mm -hmm. And it, gets to be all about our passion and what we want to make happen for ourselves in the world.
2: Mm. Wow. That's remarkable. You remind me, Julia, of now a time when I was in high school where I didn't get bit on the neck by a black widow, but metaphorically I did when I began reading the works of the anthropologist and author Carlos Castaneda. Mm. And I remember having kind of similar experiences, sometimes almost out of body. When I was reading, I dove into all of his books, read them back to back, and just was kind of in that state that you're describing where there's it's it's very much sort of an altered reality, but I I could feel that things were different as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like a sting on the neck in that way. And so, wow, and here you are. (laughs) You're alive.
1: (laughs) And here I am. Yep. I have us one of my tattoos is is the artwork I created of the transformation that Spider Bite mm-hmm. activated in me. And so it's always with me and mm-hmm. part of my story.
2: Yeah. And I, I also recall that when I was teaching in my first year teaching, I was teaching medieval history and I was trying to get at this idea of a pilgrimage. How do you how do you get mm-hmm. after that? And mm-hmm. I recall having a brainstorm one day that I was gonna take my students outside of class make them put on their super heavy 50 pound backpacks that they always carried with them. And we went for a hike during class, an hour's hike up a series of hills up behind the school I was teaching in Honolulu. And it was like, you know, 90 degrees out. And it was sort of because I was really inspired by an article that I read in the Smithsonian about Santiago de Compostela. And uh, so we went for this this hike and they complained bitterly the whole time, you know, and uh, we had an awesome discussion afterwards about what is faith? You know, how do you push through pain Mm -hmm. and suffering and that sort of thing? So anyway, wow, so many memories. All right, we'll we'll get stuck here. We have to move on. So totally (laughs) complete shift in direction here. You have received a bunch of awards for your teaching, which is awesome, including a talented teacher award and teacher of the year. And I know you walk on the humble side of the street, so let me come at this from a totally different direction. Setting aside teacher pay, teacher housing, the long hours, and sometimes really challenging circumstances that teachers work in, what are your thoughts about how we as a culture, as a society, honor teachers and recognize them for the work. Are, are we doing this enough? Are there other ways to show educators how much we appreciate their professionalism, their creativity, even as we struggle with political issues like pay and housing?
1: Absolutely. We, as a culture, I believe, question education. We question our institutions. And because we question the systems that guide our kids and the learning that our kids get to experience we sometimes lose sight of or get off course in terms of how we honor the people who are in the spaces where our learning and our kids are creating our future takes place Mm -hmm. i truly believe in a community-based experience of learning When we walk into a classroom, it's not a teacher imparting knowledge, a sage on a stage, a here's all the information you need to cram in your head so you can spit it out on a test. It's a learning with and from each other. It's building on strengths and recognizing challenges in a way that allows us to become our best selves. Mm. It's about a collective effervescence, Mm. which is... On the other side of the street, to use your metaphor from competition, Mm. I believe we are so trained to and programmed to compete, to be the best, to compare that we forget about the individual experience we each are gifted Mm. inside our schools. So inside the classroom Mm. to though, that experience gets to extend outside. So I believe until we recognize that we are creating our own reality, we're creating our own future, we're creating our own set of future teachers and learners and experiences in life, we're always going to be undervaluing educators everywhere. We have to acknowledge that our kids deserve and need to be at the table with us. And that's a vision of education and being an educator that I think we need to move to system-wide, kind of a humane-based vision mm. in order to truly, I almost wanted to say maximize, but that feels competitive, Yeah. in order to realize our potential, mm. to realize our potential as a people, as humanity, as beings on the planet that are creating future
2: that we are. Wow. Wow. What a vision. And I've been having so many conversations lately, you're probably aware of them as well, about something that some people are calling positive subtraction and thinking a lot about how removing the hyper competitiveness of our more than hundred year old education system in some ways really honors teachers It gives them the opportunity to be their most creative and imaginative and innovative selves with their students, right? I mean, that's really what we're talking about here is just a system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Where we can co-create. Yeah. Where we're not factory producing or industrializing the learning complex. It's who are we as humans? Yeah. How do we want to move forward together in our collective human journey And how can we inspire each other, support Mm. each other to make that happen in a mutually beneficial way?
2: Mm, mm -hmm. And the relentless questioning that we do of teachers often in very political arenas can also be very damaging as well. It doesn't honor teachers in the way that I, you know, develop the question, right? I mean,
1: a hundred percent it's subversive. It takes away. Absolutely.
2: Mm, Right. Wow. That's awesome. So Kind of along the same lines, you shared with me an essay you wrote back in 2004 titled, Some People Count Time, Others Make Time Count. And in the essay, you describe in some detail how a classroom becomes a quote, sacred space, which I love. So saying a space is sacred is no small thing, of course. So what makes a learning space sacred? What are all the design elements of this space and what happens in a space that renders that space eligible for the status of sacred.
1: I love how you just put that together. So much just came all at once. I had to sift through. So for me, that space is about creation. It's about inviting a community of learners, creators, teachers, and believers in to acknowledge and celebrate our individual differences in a way that allows us to create the connections, those critical connections we need In order to be our best selves, in order to create collective effervescence. So Mm. we let go of judgment. We let go, especially of ourselves, because we're so critical of ourselves. And kids, my sixth graders tell me every single day, you know, they look in the mirror and they see negative for the first 10 minutes, and it's hard for them to shift through and Mm. pass to see some positive. Mm -hmm. So when we create a space that invites, the observer to come in and take a look inside at who we are and what we share and how we connect and how to make sense of all of what's going on inside of us and all of what's going on in the world at the same time. We create a space where we're sharing truth, where looking at each experience, each text, each something someone says as either a window, a mirror, or a sliding glass door, where mm getting a look in to see, oh, wow, that's a way different way of thinking or, oh, I totally see myself in that or a sliding glass door in which, wow, you know what, what you just said and what you just shared makes me want to change the way that I am stepping through experiencing the world. Mm. That shared experience of learning and living and breathing and being inside a classroom where Everything is respected and everyone's voices and opinions are honored, Mm -hmm. which isn't to say that we don't enter into conflict or we don't disagree because that's contrast is one of our biggest teachers. Mm -hmm. It's a space where it's okay to ask, why do you think like that? And Mm. what makes you say that word instead of this word? It's just the space for critical conversation. And that's really what is sacred to me. It's physically I call them table teams. So there's no, there are no rows in my classroom. There are teams of desks with alternative seating. Kids' work is all over the walls. I have Amplifier art posters. I don't know if you're familiar with Amplifier Mm-mm. art, but they have a campaign called We the Future, and it's mm. just youth of today that are on posters speaking up using their voice for what they believe in. It's everyone from Amanda Gorman to
0: Mm -hmm. Chukatul
1: Marcinez, the head of the earth guardians. There's so many, and it's just, it's about the SDGs and the global goals are on the wall. It's how can we represent our voices together in a way that helps us all be our best selves. Mm. That's sacred.
2: And what's happened here uh, would, you know, it's something, something has happened here that happens in many episodes, Julia, which is all of a sudden, I want to go back to school again, because that sounds Mm. like the place that I would like to be, that in, in no way, shape or form resembles what I went through, which was walls that didn't really have anything on them. And there weren't any mirrors or sliding glass doors that I could walk through. It was that hyper competitive environment. Maybe all of this stuff that I'm doing right now is sort of a way of dealing with that low those many decades ago, you know? Yeah. And so tell me a little bit more about the voices on the walls because that's like, wow, that really gets me going. So where do these come from? Like, how do you select them? What is the arrangement of them in Mm. the space?
1: I feel like they come to me.
2: Mm, They find you.
1: Most Mm -hmm. definitely. I am definitely connected with art and creativity and inspiration and kids know that. And as we move through our personalized campaigns to our own learning journey, as we move through our learning journeys, different people pop up and different ideas pop up and different Mm -hmm. modes of expression pop up. And that's what ends up on the walls. It's everything from like Mm -hmm. maps and how we can use maps to cultivate explorer mindset and Mm. adventure out into the world, even if it is just in our imagination while we sit inside a classroom to actual campaigns funded by Kickstarter. Like Mm. I'm saying about amplifier art that are all about making sure there are diverse faces and voices in every school classroom in our country. Mm. There's Children's books. I have a sign that a kiddo made as a replica of Greta Thunberg's school strike for climate change. And he wrote it in Swedish and it's on cardboard and it's wearing at the edges. But it's that moment in time where that kiddo just infused, he like channeled the energy of Greta Thunberg when she had come through Denver. And he's like, you know what? I'm making my own sign. And it's Mm. the one that stood out in his lawn Mm. when she came through and it's empowered language. Mm. Prior to this year, I actually taught language arts. And so the power of language and the conversations that we get to inspire kids to have with themselves and each other and our community is so important. And so if we surround ourselves Mm. with that, that language, we're creating portals, we're Mm. creating toolboxes of tools that kids can use to know how to navigate Mm. discussion and the media and the world right now. And it's Mm. It's so important to me that that we're all surrounded by words that empower and acknowledge and speak truth.
2: Wow, that's that's awesome. And I think, Julia, you've actually sort of added another layer of definition to the concept of sacred space in the sense that your classroom, your learning spaces, whether it's inside or outside, these are spaces that are wide open to ideas, And concepts and things that come and be part of the sacred space and be part of the kiddos and you and the lives that you live in there. It's a wide open space, which is not typical of most, you know, classrooms. They're closed spaces, they have doors. You can't really see into them. And they don't permit a whole lot other than the, you know, the standard, the canon, if you will. Wow, that's awesome. So, perfect segue then to last question before we go to our first break. Julia, The Alchemist is a novel by Brazilian mm-hmm. author Paulo Coelho. I think I'm saying that correctly. Yes. Which was first published in 1988, and you listed it as an influential book in your life. So I went online to learn more because I didn't know the book, and I found this nutshell description. So it reads, an allegorical novel, The Alchemist follows a young Andalusian shepherd on his journey to the pyramids of Egypt after having a reoccurring dream of finding treasure there. So Julia, I rewrote this description to read, an allegorical novel, the alchemist follows a young Colorado educator on her journey to the far horizons of learning and service after having a reoccurring dream of finding treasure there. So does this rewrite sound okay to you? And what are a couple examples of you in search of pedagogical treasure. And I know that kind of puts you on the spot to think of examples, but I figure you would know.
1: Ah, again, just beautiful. Yes, that's so honoring and such a compliment. You just gifted me a whole experience right there. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that book. That book comes back to me when I need to read it, just so you know. So Mm -hmm. whenever it shows, it will literally like show up on the floor in front (laughs) of me in the hallway. And I'm like, okay, there it is. So one of the ways I connect most powerfully with that book is its guiding question, which is what is your personal legend? Mm. Like, what are you here for? Why are you on the planet? What's your calling? And tapping back into my spider bite, I think so many of us look for our personal legends outside of ourselves. We look around at the world and say, oh, I'm supposed to do it like this. And that person's doing it like that. So I must need to do it like that when... Truly, I mean, just like the Wizard of Oz, it all comes from inside of you. It's Mm -hmm. everything's in your own backyard. So connecting to treasures and gold and alchemy, right? So the Mm -hmm. art of alchemy, turning metal into gold, I believe that every single classroom and every single classroom experience gets to be an adventure. It gets to be a personalized action campaign into what do you care about? What are your passions how do you want to move through the world? Mm. A couple of my most cherished treasures that I've cultivated because of the way that I choose to experience learning and the way that I came into teaching, I have to start with Human Restoration Project. Mm. Nick and Chris are amazing individuals in so many ways. Our love, the movie The Matrix and Neo and the Green and Black Code and just the way of seeing the world, where everything is a pattern that we can choose to connect with. We can bring in an experience-based education where we're honoring kids and asking kids about their life paths inside a classroom and designing projects that are student-driven is absolute gold. Mm. And the way they do their work is evidence of exactly that question. That's their personal legend. It's Mm. just beautifully orchestrated. They are masters, I believe, of their art. Another surprise, I guess, golden nugget are the many different conferences and new ways of doing professional development that are Mm -hmm. kind of popcorning around the country. I got to experience one recently in Colorado Springs. It was the Student Power Learning Conference put on by Inspire Ed. Mm -hmm. And it was all about, again, students speaking up and saying, you know, we care so much more than what it looks like on the outside. And a student saying, you know, you're the reason teachers who are here, who are willing to put their their foot out to innovate and create new and redesign the way that schools and learning is happening right now. You're the reason we're here. Like Mm. there are our kids are asking, begging and just using their voices for change. And it's up to us to get on board. And so inviting that energy, inviting that gold, that alchemy in where we actually acknowledge student voice inside our spaces Mm. and hand over the reins and show kids how they can lead their own learning journey. Mm. That's the gold for me. That's the treasure. It's our kids. Our kids are our future generation. Um, They are our future and we get to create community with them. Mm -hmm. And I think it is the most beautiful gift we have on the planet.
2: That's awesome. Perfect way to go to our first break, Julia. Thank you. So, hey, everyone, we'll be right back with more of our conversation with Julia Fliss. Hi, fellow educators. I'm Steve Shapiro and like you, I'm excited about the possibilities of what school could be. Please check out my podcast, Experience Matters, where I talk to guests ranging from big national thinkers like Daniel Pink and Tony Wagner to recent high school graduates about the most profound learning experiences of their youth. Then we dig into the implications for how we can reshape schools to produce powerful breakthrough learning for all of our students. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, experience matters. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hi, friends. This is Toy Hirschman from Entre Ed. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast, and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. Hey
2: everyone, we're back with Julia Fliss, a sixth grade world studies and responsibility, integrity, safety, and engagement leadership teacher at Evergreen Middle School in Colorado. So Julia, you shared with me a list of titles, links, articles, blogs, and other treasure troves that have influenced you and that you carry with you. The list is long, so I thought we could do what I call a rapid fire round. I will name the thing and you will briefly rapidly share why they live or it lives in your metaphorical suitcase. So there are five of them, okay? So just, we'll do a quick round of all five. All right, here we go. Number one. You've actually already talked about this a little bit, but you could clarify it. The Human Restoration Project.
1: Mm, a nonprofit, grassroots organization dedicated to humane based teaching, learning, and transformation within the system.
2: And its influence on you?
1: Freedom, permission, creativity, and tapping into who I am as an activist, an educator and an activist on the planet who is here to change education.
2: That's awesome. And if our listeners want to know more, they can listen to my episode with Chris McNutt, who's one of the co-founders, one of my favorite episodes. All right. Number two, the poet, Amanda Gorman.
1: Voice, life, inspiration, the way she moves through the world, She is in that amplifier, we the future campaign, Mm -hmm. we the future write our own liberation is on her poster. That's what she's about for me. My kids love her story that she started so early, knowing that she was going to be a powerful leader of the day and had to overcome speech impediment, actually. Mm -hmm. Now she speaks out globally on stage and uses the power of her voice and words Mm -hmm. to change the world.
2: Do you recall the moment, or did you see her deliver her poem at President Biden's inauguration? Yes. What was that like?
1: We watched as a class. It was—I had goosebumps. But my kids knew what it meant to me, and so everyone was quiet. Everyone cheered. Everyone jumped up and down. We had actually the days prior looked at on the pulse of mooring because Maya Angelou was also a huge inspiration to me. And so we had already done a deep dive into the power of words and poetry and metaphor and Mm. looked at her outfit, saw her ring, just did the whole connection to the whole evolution of powerful women voices Mm. on the planet.
2: Wow. Wow. I wish I'd been there. Wow. Mm. All right. Next Steve jobs and the crazy ones.
1: (laughs) The crazy ones. So aside from the fact that I'm a Mackie, right? I love Macs. Steve Jobs' <laughs> story is also incredible. Yeah. Up until just this year when we just completed a remodel at my school. And so my principal was a little bit leery of me recreating this on my ceiling again. But up until this year, painted on my ceiling, I created installation art. And the kids called it the lemon. Mm. Basically, it was an oblong circle with a little bit of a nub on the end of it. And then in certain places within the circle were little dots. And some of the dots were kind of congregating together. There was one dot that was a little bit of an observer. And then there was one dot that was so far out. It was within that nub in the outer circle. And it was pushing out on the universe. It was pushing out on the shape of the universe. And so we use that. Here's to the crazy ones Mm -hmm. by Steve Jobs in my classroom to really celebrate divergent thinking. And also honor those times in our lives when we want to be more social and we want to be connected to a smaller group. And Mm. sometimes we'll be the observer who like, just is looking in to investigate and get curious about what's going on. So Mm. that here's to the crazy ones, quote, guides philosophy work. It guides mindset work in our classroom. And one of the biggest gifts I've ever received as a kiddo writing on the wall before they demolished my classroom last year, a heart. And it said, they say it's the crazy ones who will come here. I hope that's you. I don't think I got it exactly right. But Mm -hmm. just knowing that from day one, opening with that, and then the last day of school, someone, her name's Aubrey, wrote that on the wall. And that's what she took with her in her heart. Mm. It's one of the most beautiful homages, like gifts I could have received.
2: Mm, Wow. That's fabulous. I was one of the first Mackey's as well, way, way back. One of the greatest gifts I ever got was a IT director at the school I was teaching at who agreed to give me one-to-one Macs in my classroom and it just blew up. Everything blew up. It completely opened up the world for us as learners. It was awesome. Okay. Number four, Derek Sivers and how to start a movement. (laughs) Awesome.
1: He's the lone nut, right? So that video is lessons in leadership. And it's about, you know, yes, we need leaders in the world, but what we really need are the first followers. We need the people who are willing to step up and recognize leadership or recognize an idea or recognize that divergent thought as a particle that could also become a wave. So Mm. It's the movement. It's creating the movement. We can't just have a whole bunch of people coming up with great ideas all over the place. We get to create waves of inspiration and change and systemically, that's what we need right now. We need Mm -hmm. people to celebrate each other, get on board with each other and co-create and co-inspire the transformation. So yeah, that's how we use that in our class. I love that you chose that.
2: That's awesome. And, and I've, I've seen it so many times, but always in the context of an adult teacher professional development setting. Mm. And what you've been talking about since we began this conversation is you're talking about the ways that the students become first followers. Yes. And they're part of that dance as well. Yes. I don't think we acknowledge that enough.
1: Yeah. And so we even use, I'll just pipe in really quickly. We even come up with language to do that inside a classroom. So mm. we're having a conversation, someone comes up with a great idea, and then someone wants to add to it. You actually say, hey, can I build on that? I want to build on your idea because it's so good. Mm. Like just creating permission and language to build on each other's brilliance mm. is Definitely, it's a tool for everyone's toolbox.
2: Right. It's part of the magic. It's part of the alchemy, for sure. Okay, last one, Greta Thunberg.
1: Wow. I don't even know where to start. So Fridays for the Future, that's where I'll start. When my kids, when our kids learn that there is a kiddo in the world who decided that she cared so much about our planet that she was willing to go stand outside her parliament building in her country travel halfway across the world, speak in front of the United Nations, talk in a way that lit people on fire Mm. and care for our planet like it is the home I believe we should all connect with as is, is the most powerful thing. Mm. Listening to her speak, learning about her story, using her lens, her vision, her experience as a human being, and the very unique human being that she is, seeing a challenge turn into a strength is something my kids don't ever forget after we start learning about her. Mm. They love, it's not the underdog, it's kids demanding their voices be heard in a way that silence the adults in the room and really Mm. provoke them to think. Yeah. They love that moment and they sit in it. It's beautiful.
2: Mm, perfect. Perfect. What a great rapid fire round. Thank you. That was really fun. That's awesome. And it's actually, Julia, a perfect segue into my next question, which is, you know, to say that Zoe Weil's book, The World Becomes What We Teach is an inspiration in your life is to make a pretty vast understatement. The same is true for me. So let's keep this question, you know, concise and short and you just roll with it. So who is Zo Weil? How did you come to read her book? And what was the result, at least in a somewhat abbreviated version, in terms of your evergreen middle school sacred learning spaces and the things hmm. that happened there?
1: So Zo Weil is a pioneer. She is an inspiration for the planet. She's an author. She is the founder of the Institute for Humane Education. I first learned about her as I was learning with a gentleman by the name of Steve Sosak, who is no longer on the planet, but I know he's with us always now. Mm. He led and was co-founder of Empathy to Impact. I did some work, global studies with him and he came in Worked with my kiddos. We worked together during COVID and he first shared with me the word solutionary in a tweet. Wow. I love Twitter. It activates me. And so when he shared in this 72 character long tweet about the word solutionary, I saw the word and I thought to myself, what is that word? How do I mm. learn more about that? Where did that come from? And I went on a digging expedition. Mm-hmm. Once I stumbled on to TED Talks and books, I ordered, I couldn't get enough. I then immediately reached out to Zoe, who was on Twitter, but wasn't actively on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I must have sent 50 tweets, just like, hey, do you want to connect? I sent direct messages. I, I just <laughs> was so like, that's how I am. Like, If I'm passionate, inspired, I will just keep... My kids call it Chinese torture. Like when you like (laughs) tap someone's (laughs) tap someone's collarbone. Yeah. I like to think it's not torture, but I'm I'm just like insistent, I'm just that person. Mm -hmm. So when she finally realized that I had been reaching out the way that I was, and that I was using her solutionary guidebook, we were using her solutionary guidebook in our classroom, and we were designing solutionary summits and conferences, and we were doing personalized action campaigns she called, <laughs> she called me and she's like, Julia, I don't know how this happened. It must be right timing. And we just instantly connected. Mm. We shared, it was an, no words even needed to be said. And she said, what can I do? And I said, can you come into my classroom? And so she zoomed into our classroom and mm. we started talking. She asked wow. if we could edit her if we were interested in editing the Solutionary Guidebook. And I said, absolutely, but I'm going to put some kids in charge. I'm going to put Baxter and Xander in charge of this part. And I'm going to put Claire and I think it was Saya in charge of this other part. Mm. And she said, absolutely. I can't wait to hear what they have to say. And I said, so, you know, my kids are also building a website right now called Solutionary Studio that they're going to present at Take Action Global Day through Jen Williams, who does everything Teach SDGs. Mm. And she said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so we did that. We designed a solutionary summit. We helped to edit her book. She also puts out, or the Institute for Humane Education also creates learning videos for kids about the solutionary process. And Mm -hmm. so we got to be a part of creating the storyboard for that. We got to Zoom again and learn how, like the inner workings of how all that works. Mm. And then most recently, and I have to say my favorite, and this is a true testament to the world becomes what we teach. I got my hands on Claude and Medea, her middle school learning book. It's a fiction book about a substitute teacher who comes in and changes the world of these kids in a privileged school. Mm. And so we're reading it as a class this year. And I had one kiddo, Clements, who was like, Miss Phyllis, I, I need to read the whole thing. Like you just started it. I can't not read the rest <laughs> of the book. And so she read the whole thing and she wrote a review. Mm. And Zoe is Just, she's done a little bit of editing and she's going to republish it. And Clements' review is in her book. And Clements and I are going to do a little video to promote it. I think it comes out on May 16th. Mm. And it's just this beautiful journey of how kids can look outside of a classroom and see the world as their classroom. Mm. She talks specifically about learning walks and using curiosity to to go experience the world, like aiming your curiosity out into the world so you can go be who you want to be and inspire what you want to inspire. So that's Zoe. I got to (laughs) see her recently. She happened to be in Denver when I was in Denver at a conference. And so I stopped by. Mm. Her son is actually an artist. So I got to see some of his work too, but she's a force of nature on the planet that is just an inspiration and a gift and a a true, my kids would say hero. Mm. We have great conversations about what it means to be a
2: hero, but... Mm.
1: Wow. That's who she is in my heart.
2: That's awesome. And if our listeners want to know more, they can just look up the Institute for Humane Education. It's a fabulous resource with a wealth of stuff there that you can use right away. And so that's awesome. We'll actually come back to Zoe at the very end of today's conversation. But this is actually a great segue to this last question, which is another rapid round before we go to our second break. Julia, we all have crazy awesome moments in our educator and or professional practice that we look back on with fondness and nostalgia An innovative lesson, a small step that changed everything, a collaboration with another educator, a team project, an interaction with a learner and so on. So let's do a, a magic lightning round. I will prompt you with a phrase and you provide a, you know, quick sort of one minute bridge to our listeners in terms of connecting what that thing is and you and then to them. Okay. All right. Yep. So there's actually another five here. So here we go. Number one, they're all called Epic moments. So Epic moment, planting 111 trees in a Belizean rainforest two weeks ago.
1: Yes. So in my school, we believe in the world as our classroom. We also are strong proponents of service learning Two weeks ago over our spring break, so last week of March, we took 18 middle schoolers to the heart of the rainforest in Belize Mm -hmm. and did service learning work. Everything from watershed quality Mm -hmm. to coral reef work to, as you just mentioned, planting 111 trees, 18 different species of 111 trees Mm. in the middle of the jungle. We had an assembly line going on that probably stretched, I don't know, 50 feet. And then each of us carried our own tree. Mm. Everyone carried a shovel and we dug in. We listened to the sounds around us and we knew that as we were planting these seeds, Mm. we were growing future oxygen. Mm. We were growing future life and life force on the planet. Mm. It was gorgeous and beautiful and messy and sticky and dirty and all of the above. Mm. It was a moment I'll never forget. Mm. We still are connected actually to this tree farm and we're going to do some work to make sure that that is a relationship that gets cultivated, not just a one-time connection.
2: Wow. You know, one of the questions that I had to leave on the cutting room floor, and it was painful to do that, had to do with a book that you and I have both read, The Good Ancestor by Roman Krasnarek. And what you just described Mm -hmm. is a beautiful Good Ancestor moment. That is a perfect, Mm -hmm. perfect illustration of what that's like. And so speaking of then, second, number two, epic moment, Wellness Day at Evergreen Middle School with Dr. Glass in 2019.
1: Mm -hmm. Perfect timing. Um, We're planning the next Wellness Day on May 5th. So, Wellness Day 2019. Wellness Day at Evergreen Middle School is about celebrating and promoting all of the aspects of well being that we often don't integrate into our quote, regular curriculum in our classroom. Mm -hmm. It's a celebration of emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical, everything we need to be our best selves, our well being. And so, as a small group, we design a day where kids rotate through some combination of celebrating each of those aspects. So we might bring in, and this year we will again bring in yoga teachers. And so Mm. certain groups at, by choice, get to go experience some yoga. That group might then move on to a drumming circle next because we bring in, we have a couple of teachers who have some drums and then We believe in the power of music and vibration to help with well-being, especially in the world today with how kids experience music and vibration. And so Mm. they might move to that. And then they could move to we have a graffiti artist coming in who is in our community. And then each of us will paint a rock and we'll create a rock garden. Mm. Actually, we'll add to our current rock garden. We started the rock garden in 2019, with Dr. Glass and each student painted a rock and we end outside having like a picnic lunch and all kinds of games and activity out in the grass and just celebrating our connection to each other, our community, the planet, stewardship on that very special day in 2019 when Dr. Glass, our former superintendent, now the commissioner of education in Kentucky, Mm. He came through and he was wowed and he just glowed and shared. And it was a beautiful moment. His vision for Jeffco schools involved something called generation skills. Mm. And we had successfully shown him a student driven experience of all of them. And it just, it was a goosebump moment. So wow, that's how that relates. And right now, like I said, we're planning the 2023 version, including a connection to the day of service with Columbine because Columbine's anniversary Mm. is coming up this Thursday. So we're actually creating service learning projects that connect to the Columbine day in service this year too.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Epic moment number three, take action day, May, 2020.
1: Yes. That is that day I just described when I was describing Zoe around, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole world had shut down Not everyone knew how to do online learning. People were unfamiliar with Zoom and the power that it held as of yet. And so in my classes, we didn't just stop. We went deeper. We started connecting with the whole world. We were Zooming with classrooms in like, the Kakuma refugee camp. And we were Zooming with classrooms in Canada. We were just Zooming with everyone we could. (laughs) And that day, Take Action Day in 2020 came to be a day where there was a group of us who were up at 4 a.m. just because everything was East Coast time and we were trying to connect with time zones all around the world. Mm. And we were on a Zoom together celebrating all of the ways that classrooms around the world were taking action in the name of the global goals Mm. until three in the afternoon. We were spent. Our eyes were like watering. It was a physical test of serious momentum and motivation, Mm. but we got to celebrate classrooms around the world that had taken the leap, had decided, you know what, we're not going to let a global pandemic hold Mm. us back from our learning. We're going to help it let us go deeper. Mm. And I will forever remember that moment. It was just beautiful. I still am in touch with those kids. Their poster that they made is still hanging outside my classroom.
2: Wow. Amazing. Okay, so two more. <laughs> Epic moment Brazil Service Learning Expedition, Middle School Water Project, Rio de Janeiro, 2007.
1: Yes. So in 2007, I took a step back from West High School. There was an opportunity for me to be on the ground floor of starting the DPS online high school, and I took it. I wanted the experience. It was a perfect way for me to deepen my love of learning and create an alternative experience of community and school in a way that I thought would definitely enrich my life. Mm. Little did I know we would actually full on go. I would have that COVID opportunity to deepen it even more, but we still needed kids. i wanted the community with kids. So we organized a service learning project and with a group called the Odyssey Institute, a nonprofit, we worked with high school and middle school kids to do a service learning project in Rio. It was intense. We Mm. went to visit a school and a, uh, technically, I guess it's a neighborhood in Rio that was more impoverished than any of my students or I had ever seen. Mm. They lived in a way that sourced water for washing and everything else all at once. And so we got to Teach them about hygiene. We taught them about innovative ways to direct water and mm-hmm. think about water in a way that allowed it to be life source and honored and improve their lives because mm-hmm. they had a mindset where the water was what was making them sick and the water was what was creating the mindset of lack and scarcity. And so because we got to come in and talk with them in an educational way about the power of water and how we could use innovation to redirect their water sources and their thinking about water Mm. that those particular kids and that group of people ended up sharing all of their knowledge with everyone around them. And the whole community regenerated the Mm. land and the water and the stream and everything around them. It was just Mm. It was beautiful. Wow. It was beautiful.
2: Amazing. Last one, epic moment, Peace Jam rally at Denver University with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama.
1: Yes. So Peace Jam is a nonprofit that was formed in Arvada, which is pretty close to Denver. And Peace Jam is all about connecting kids with mentors. And it was born from a small group of kids Who decided, you know what, we're gonna make our dream come true. We're gonna reach out to some of these Nobel Peace Laureates and see if they're willing to work with us to help instill leadership qualities, peacekeeping qualities, like consciousness raising in kids in the world. Never thinking anyone would respond, but they did. And so this cohort of 10 Nobel Peace Laureates began working with this high school group, and it grew and grew and grew and grew, and then they'd have Peace Jam rallies and When I worked at West High School, when I taught at West High School, when I got to teach at West High School, I should say, we were a part of the Peace Jam Movement and we had the privilege of going to DU. We led a workshop and then we all got to listen to and experience, as you said, His Holiness the Dalai Lama speak and share the gift of life, the universe and everything. And it was a high that I've not experienced in mm. my life in that way again. It just mm. was a true moment of collective effervescence, as mm. I've been saying. It was just everyone bubbled up and we all felt the vibration of that energy.
2: Mm. I had a similar experience at a basketball arena here in Hawaii when His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, came to speak to what was about 10,000 people. And I, I recall, like it was yesterday, what that was like to listen to him talk. And so that's awesome, amazing. And what a great rapid round. Thank you, Julia, that's awesome. And a great way to head into our second break. So, hey everyone, we will be right back with more of our conversation with Julia Fliss. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at unr. ULR.com. Mahalo. Are you ready to shake things up in the classroom? Then get ready to blast off into the future of education with the Teacher Nerds podcast. Join Joe DiPaolo and Ron Nober as they share their own experiences, as well as talk with guests who are experts and innovators in education. From engaging teaching techniques, To the latest educational technology, this podcast is a must listen for anyone passionate about the future of learning. Subscribe and get ready to learn with the Teacher Nerds podcast. Hey everyone, we are back with Julia Fliss, who as an educator is self-described as passionate, mindful, curious, resourceful, eager, spunky, outside the box thinker, creative, champion for climate and anti-racist, among other descriptions. So, Julia, in an essay written for The Point titled Our One-Dimensional Schools, which we both read, the author takes to task all of us in education, talking about skills, habits, dispositions, job readiness, problem solving, competency, CBL, credentials, all the things we folks reimagining education are talking about. And so I'm going to read a quote, which is somewhat out of context, but which opens a door for us. So the quote is, relatedly and more importantly, education thinkers fail to perceive how schools can become sites of resistance. By making a decisive shift in their educational mission, schools can help young people cultivate a much fuller capacity, for human happiness than they, and perhaps we, thought possible," end quote. So in what ways, Julia, are you helping resistance to merely prepare and equip? Like, what do you think about working against just equipping kids in support of their ambitions and instead supporting the full development and expression of their aspirations and humanity. And like, what are the expressions of your resistance and your learners resistance to the one dimensionality of our schools?
1: Mm, Fantastic question. I believe it. It's rooted in that critical conversation that I spoke of. So teaching kids how to have a deep conversation with yourself that often is driven by contrast I believe, like I said, that contrast is one of our greatest teachers. So when a kiddo finds him or herself Mm. in a place where they're not sure or they're questioning or they realize I actually don't agree with that, Mm. to help them not just have the language, but have tools and strategies to be able to, again, this is from Monica Guzman but she uses the phrase, aim their curiosity. So let's Mm -hmm. aim our curiosity right at the contrast, right Mm -hmm. at the divide, right at the quote opposite side. I think there's this beautiful opportunity for kids to dance, as you've said, in the conversation Mm -hmm. and make sense of their own thinking within the matrix of the world. Mm -hmm. So they have the opportunity to recognize what's going on around them. They have the capacity to resist, as you just said, that mainstream thinking or that status quo principle or that tenet of even just racist ideology that they hadn't ever thought as deeply about before. Mm -hmm. And they can get curious about it because it's about I think I really think it's about getting curious. It's not about taking sides. Mm. It's not about creating a gap or a divide. It's truly taking a moment to understand what another person is thinking in a way that helps you understand your own thinking and your own self better. Mm. In that way, we are cultivating happiness. We're cultivating understanding. We're cultivating compassion. We're cultivating connection. And again, that's what it's about for me. Critical connection, not critical mass. Mm. That's straight from emergent strategy, which I'm reading right now and I can't get enough of, but it's, it's really about helping kids to recognize the patterns and the systems around us that may not be the healthiest or the best fit for them. And then understanding, Oh, I see this. I recognize that that doesn't really work for me. How can I change something so that I? do get what I need in the midst mm. of all of this unhealthy or confusion or interference or everything mm. else going on in the world. So just that act of being a critical thinker in the world today is an act of resistance. Mm. Question everything. Mm. Open yourself to understanding everything because all of that makes you, create a richer experience of life, learning and everything for yourself.
2: Mm. Julia, would it be fair to say that that moment back in the 90s, it feels to me like you were following an ambition, which was going to medical school and that whole pathway. And then the spider bite changed the arc of your life because it opened you up to not ambition, but to aspiration. Is that a fair yes. way of looking at that?
1: Yep. Exactly. Ambition versus, I know in the article, it definitely said aspiration versus passion, like Mm -hmm. versus, so brain versus heart. Yep. A hundred percent.
2: And in that moment, you just like, wow, a whole thing opened up, which is really (laughs) what you're talking about is the openness of learning. Yeah. And let it go where it is going to go. You know, when I read this piece, You know, it really kind of stopped me in my tracks and I'm I'm glad that I read it because sometimes I get on this roll about skills, habits, and dispositions and getting, you know, kids ready for the 21st century and now we're 23 years into it and all of that. And it really made me sit back and think, you know, what am I saying about the aspirations of kids? And I think that's why I wanted to give you an opportunity, which you just took to fully explain that or to make it effervescent, if you will. Right.
1: Yeah. I love how you said wide open spaces so that kids can carve their own trajectory. Mm. It's perfect.
2: Mm. Okay, so along the same lines, because we've been talking so much about sacred spaces and the conditions for wide open learning, I was on a long walk on a Point Reyes National Seashore beach with my daughter, Emma, a few weeks ago, and she was my 101st episode, which was awesome. And we talked about, what feels to me like an absolute core concept in education, which is the development of trust relationships between students and teachers. So I can imagine many educators staring down what must feel like a barrel of standardized testing and the college or bus pathway and and all of that thinking. I'm thinking that they think, I don't have time to build trusting relationships with students. We have stuff we have to do. So What are your thoughts about building trust as a first step, not a circumstance-specific add-on? And by the way, I was inspired to ask this question based on a letter of recommendation written on your behalf by a colleague named Linda in which she references you building trust with your learner. So I wonder what you think about this.
1: down, it's essential. I think building relationship has to come first. Acknowledging the work that we get to do inside a classroom. If we want it to be real and authentic and inclusive and forward-thinking and kid-driven and wide open, you have to establish trust. And it's different for every kiddo. I think you mentioned to me that you had been at a workshop where you were asked to move at the speed of trust. Mm, and that yes. is now in my code. Like it's ingrained <laughs> in my coding because it's mm. just beautiful. And I believe in that necessity. We have to open up our spaces, open the floor, open the conversation in a way where at least we want kids to know that we want to establish trust in a space the conversation around what that looks like for every kid is a great conversation to have. That's one of those magic moments of conversation where, well, tw- trust to me looks like this. And what does trust feel like to you? Or what does trust sound like? And how does trust, if you could touch trust, what would it feel mm. like? The, those are the conversations that allow you to get to mm. the authentic nugget, the, the nut, the kernel, the seed of the conversation, the seed of the learning, because if kids don't trust us. Actually, I think a lot of kids right now don't even trust themselves. I think they're so bombarded with images and media that they they don't even know how to navigate that, hence our mm. mental health crisis right now. So yeah. using that as an opportunity to teach self, to teach social emotional learning and to acknowledge the relationship with self that you have to build, not just inside classrooms, but we all as humans build those relationships with ourselves and trusting ourselves right now is, mm-hmm. is huge. So to just peel back the layers of what it means to be human and a kid for me, like mm-hmm. 11, 12, 13 year old hormone filled kid <laughs> inside a classroom mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how trust is an element of authenticity and identity right now in our lives and in our learning processes about ourselves. It's core it's foundational. I, I don't believe we can create classrooms that are wide open spaces without it.
2: Mm. You wrote to me about getting the kids out of their UG space, which mm. I, I loved. And I think that's really part of what you're talking about here is that notion of in trust, you acknowledge who they are and what they're going through, and then you yes. give them the open opportunity to get up and move. Yes. And both, you know, literally and also figuratively as well, that they're in their learning, they're up and moving, right? Is that a fair way yes. to look at it? A hundred percent. Yeah.
1: And we, you know, you can look at that, like you just said, at an individual level, but you can also look at that as the collective. Like right now we're in an UG movement <laughs> moments in, on the planet. Yeah, And we so are. it's mm-hmm. what we do with it. It's how we choose to move through it and what connections we have decide to make and how we network that can shift us out of it. But it's not until we transform ourselves that we will transform the world.
2: Mm. So that's a a perfect way to bring this conversation to a close with my last question. And I sort of already know the answer already, but I'm just going to lay it out for you. So as we reach the end of this conversation, if I were to ask you to give a shout out to someone upon whose shoulders you stand, that person, that giant who has inspired you and through their work, mentored, coached, guided, sponsored, and lifted you up. What would you say? Who is that amazing human deserving of your shout out? And what is this person's personal meaning to you, Julia?
1: It's so well, Mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And wow. One of the quotes that she shares often is a Joan Baez quote, which right there is celebration in and of itself. And it is that the antidote to despair is hope. Mm. I am on the side of hope and my kids will say to me, wait a second, I thought you said there were no sides, right? And I say, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I need to aim my curiosity differently, but she represents intergenerational change, justice, progressive thought, movement, momentum in education in a way that creates portals insides of classrooms Mm -hmm. to have titled Mm -hmm. just one of her books. The world becomes what we teach is pinnacle. It's just a, Mm -hmm. just the title of that one work speaks volumes about who she is as a person on the planet, how she works with the world and what she intends to inspire. Mm -hmm. She threw one screen in my classroom change the trajectory of however many kids lives and Mm. she's doing it across the country in the world. Mm. And it's phenomenal. She is an acupuncture point on the planet. That's Mm. how I will say that.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: She's a force of nature who is an acupuncture point on the planet. When Mm. she came to Evergreen middle school a year ago, right about now she took us through an exercise where she asked us to visualize the future and, She created it in such a rich way that we all felt that we were there Mm -hmm. and it was beautiful. It was energetic. It was contagious. We could all feel it. And that's what I believe we get to do and create and who she represents to me. Mm
2: -hmm. That's perfect. So, let's dedicate this episode to Zoe and her colleagues at the Institute for Humane Education, right? I think that's the the perfect thing to do in this moment, Julia. Yes. So, Julia Fliss, thank you for being on the show today. I wish you and your extended family good health and many adventures in the months and years to come. And thank you for all you're doing to educate a generation of solutionaries who will make our world more just and more humane. Thank you, Julia. Ah,
1: Thank you, such a gift, really.
2: My editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurohara. Our theme music comes from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist, Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over hundred songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over hundred countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. The series is underwritten by education change agent Ted Dinter-Smith, the executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film, Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be Podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Also, follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Listeners, the most important thing you can do in these uncertain times is to bring kindness and compassion into the world. We need a surplus of both right now. Until the next episode, Ahui Ho and take care.